Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to Taking Ship, a guided cruise through Dumbest Timeline America. I'm Maggie Moore, and I'm joined by, for the first time in several weeks, a full crew. Uh, I'm thrilled to have both Frank and Ellie on board with me this week. Hey, gents. Ahoy. Ahoy. Can we really say that if we're not wearing, like... Listen, we don't make the rules. It's about boats. We say ahoy. Wearing wearing a cravat and a dickie and sipping on Perrier or something. (laughs) Who do you imagine? What do you imagine the Navy is like, Ellie? (laughs) I'm not talking about Navy. I'm just talking about jerk asses who have boats. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I did see that music video. I'm on a boat. I imagine it's like that. Yes. Yeah, that's not. Right? Yeah. 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 Or the or that long form pitbull ad for I think it was Fiat. <laughs> yeah, like, I know just like sailing about. around the yeah exactly just just sailing around the world. Uh, An in, ad for a car that heavily features a boat. Yes, that's exactly right. Well, also like the Fiats would then like they were they were amphibious, so they would they would drive off the boat and then up the ocean floor and then onto the beach in what was basically like an, an amphibious land, like a hostile landing, like a contested landing. That's like my Miami, shit. Like Miami Beach. It was fucking awesome. Yeah, that's, that's imagine like Pitbull is like the world's most fun pirate. <laughs> I mean, that's The sounds... unsexy will be slaughtered. <laughs> sounds not bad. Yeah, you know. You but in the meantime, it. as you imagine, Pitbull is the world's most successful pirate. Uh, we do urge and beg you to follow us on and rate us on Twitter and subscribe and all those other kinds of good stuff. And you can follow us on Twitter at taking ship. And that's ship with a P as in phosphorus. As in pit bull. As, yeah. As yeah. That was a real missed bull. opportunity. God damn it. <laughs> damn it <Jacob. laughs> this is what happens. Fuck. Uh, but and since we are uh, the guided cruise through Dumbest Timeline America, and Dumbest Timeline America seems to be just seeping into the waterways all across the globe, uh, Frank, uh, because you have given us uh, good insight into what's going on across the pond from us, we thought you might be able to uh, explain why the British people decided to elect a failed Muppet like Boris Johnson to prime minister, which happened just a few hours ago. Yes. Well, first I can tell you, the British people did not elect Boris Johnson to be prime minister. Uh, this was a vote of the Conservative Party. Uh, so you're talking about, uh, it's the equivalent of a presidential primary, so you're talking about a few tens of thousands of votes cast. I actually haven't seen the final, the final count there. Uh, it was a few wait, tens wait, of so thousands. we're saying that people who vote in presidential primaries should not be allowed to vote because the end result is shit. That sounds right. Yes, let's. Okay. You can you can take me. Yes, take take that to the bank. That is my official quote. If you have voted in a presidential primary, you should lose the franchise. Um, that is my official position. I will not hear any counter arguments. Uh, so you're talking about? Excuse me. So the, there were uh, a little over 130,000 votes cast. Uh, so that's the that is the number of Conservative Party members who voted. Boris Johnson beat his nearest competition, uh, Jeremy Hunt, quite handily, uh, and he is now the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. God save them. Um, so here we, here we all are, friends. Uh, there was, he's been wanting the seat for a long time, that job for a long time. It's been, there was a period uh, when it looked like he, by virtue of his positioning himself for the top job, had, job, had alienated so many people that he would never get it. Um, his, that implosion was, I think, partly, uh, uh, partly accounts for why he was not in the mix when David Cameron resigned and uh, and and uh, Theresa May became prime minister, but I think some of it was the the Tories had this notion at the time that what they needed 
was someone who had been a Remain campaigner, because Theresa May would campaign for Remain and Brexit, to oversee the pro- to oversee the Brexit process. The idea is like, we've got this bill, we've got this you know this this referendum result that you know if we're honest, probably not a lot of people like. Uh, we're going to have to sell this to the people. Who better to sell it to the British people um, than someone who campaigned against it, but is nobly standing up to do her duty for the British people? And for a while, that idea seemed to have worked. Right, like she was reasonably popular. There was data to suggest that Brits felt sorry for her, felt sympathy for her because she didn't ask for this, but she had to do it, you know, with the stiff upper lip going gamely on. And that, it just that seems thing kind of, of rude to like rub her nose in it, be like, you lost, but now you have well, to now you have to exit. Yeah, that's the other that's the other side of it. And also, like what we want and you to do. She was very is, good about helping Donald Trump upstairs. Yes, yeah, which was awesome. I mean, look, I think we all have nice things to say about Theresa May. And I think by and by that I mean we do not. Uh, we emphatically do not, but nonetheless. Uh, she was in, sort of implausibly prime minister for quite some time uh, and, and presided over the complete catastrophe that was Brexit negotiations. And some of it was that she was working against her own party. Uh, and some of it was she was being she was given a very, very difficult job and did not pursue it, I think, quite as capably as people expected her to. So uh, the way the way we, we've explained it before, and I think it's still apt, is it's someone negotiating with an ETM. Correct. That This is exactly right. Uh, and and so the idea so Johnson is an unrepentant Brexiteer, uh, one of the most visible and and most uh, and most outspoken of them. And he is now the prime minister. And his view is that the current deadline for Brexit is October thirty first. Britain will be out by then. It'll be a hard Brexit, or if a deal isn't struck by then. And his view on that, his public view on that, his rhetoric on it, especially during the leadership race, was good. We're doing a hard Brexit. Fuck him. We don't have to negotiate with these people. It's Britain going its own way. Uh, I suspect because he has this reputation, because of his crazy hair and some of his outlandish quotes, uh, you know, he, he was the the foreign minister uh, for the the May government for uh, for the uh, for the May government, the Cameron government that he was the foreign minister of. May. Um, he it was the May government. That's right. Uh, he was the foreign minister for the May government, and generally speaking, uh, you know, made, made a bit of an ass of himself in that role. And he has this reputation for making an ass of himself. Who amongst he, us? Who amongst us, right? He is, and so it's easy to underestimate him. People have been doing this for a long time. When he wants to be, he is an incredibly canny uh, communicator. He has a sociopath's gift for messaging and for spectacle. That's how I became mayor of London. London is not a conservative. Wait, wait, wait. Those things sound familiar. Right, right. You're beginning. You're beginning I've to see. I've seen this. it before. <clears throat> wait. You yep, hate to see sure. it. You hate to see it. You do. You do, <laughs> Maggie. You do hate to see it, you hate it. <laughs> almost more than anything. The comparison with Trump, the comparison with Trump is made often because he's sort of this outlandish kind of foolish figure. Uh, where and and with they really do bad hair. with really bad hair and 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 makes being kind. The difference is that Trump is forever posturing as the big man. Boris Johnson's kind of class clown persona has been with him since he was in what they would call public school, we would call private school, since he was in grade school. That's how he has kind of survived, is making people underestimate and making people laugh. Um, but he, and to be honest with you, I don't think he is, I think he probably has always been a bit Brexity, uh, not because he, not because of any particular resentment of the, of, you know, of Europe or of immigrants, although he is in, in the way that the Conservative Party would be wedded to a, an, a long bygone notion of Britain that was basically a pretty white place. I, I read uh, some article that in the before he wrote whatever article it was in the Daily Mail or wherever he had a column, he had two different articles written, uh, yeah. pro-Brexit and anti-Brexit, and it was like a flip of the coin at the end. 
Yeah, the way it's it isn't it wasn't quite random, but the but the point that it, that underlies that is whether it's true or not, it speaks the fact that that is a story that is about that is around going around about Boris Johnson tells you everything you need to know about the guy. As far as I can tell, the man has no principles, um, and he is very good at understanding who amongst, who amongst us, right? Exactly, and he's very good at understanding the tectonics underneath politics, right? He has been able to go. He, I mean, this is this is a guy who has spent most of his career deliberately crafting a reputation as a bit of a figure of fun. Uh, and yet he has been the, he was, and yet he has been the prime, the, excuse me, the mayor of London, uh, which again, London is not a conservative place. It had a conservative mayor for eight years. Some of that may have been a reaction to, uh, to Ken Livingston, but most of it was, most of it was Boris being able to message in a way that reassured uh, a majority of, uh, you know, voting Londoners. That this guy wasn't too conservative. He was quite progressive back then by the standards of the conservative party. Now he is a hard Brexiteer. Uh, he has appeared as the person who is, you know, and, but the way he talks about Brexit is not particularly resentful, although there is some of that. He's not, you know, he is not a remainder, never has been. He has tapped into something that I think the conservative party missed that didn't, did not get in their, in their general election of 2017, certainly didn't have with Theresa May and didn't obviously have with David Cameron, who was a public remainder, uh, which is, a rhetoric that is neat, that is not resentful, but is fundamentally hopeful. It is Britain charting a new t- charting a new course. Britain back on the world stage. Britain back as a great power, unconstrained, ready to forge our own destiny, a proud nation, etc. Fucking etc. That weirdly is a line of messaging that Briggs, that the Conservative Party has missed. And they certainly didn't do it in 2017. Uh, in the general election of 2017, Theresa May was already Prime Minister, but she called the general election to she thought increase her parliamentary majority. Uh, her her campaign was very small C conservative. They were very safe. They were very frankly very dull. Um, uh, the slogan of that campaign was um, "strong and stable leadership in the national interest." Boring. Dull, Yawn. Right? The dullest. <laughs> what does that even mean? And, and, right. That's exactly. Put right. that on a bumper sticker. And, I love Joe, it. Does and Joe like, Biden already have those bumper stickers going? Or oh yeah, they're just. I mean, it's you know he's basically taking the May campaign and and immediately importing it to the United States, and that's going to go pretty awesome. Um, but there is a like it is highly focused group. It's what you play. It's how you. It's you know you're you're playing not to lose rather than to win. And politics that goes very badly. And she, while the conservatives didn't lose the general election, they lost seats. It was a catastrophe and one that ultimately precipitated the end of her premiership uh, because she didn't have a majority to pass any of her deals. Uh, my fear and and campaign straplines don't always tell you much, but they can be a window into how the campaign thinks about herself. That itself, that is one. That is a campaign strapline that is one hundred percent a window into how they thought about this. We've message tested this. We want to be, you know, we we message tested this. We we know that people want strength and stability, and they don't feel like Jeremy. Cor- it was a veiled shot at Jeremy Corbyn that he doesn't act in the British national interest. Uh, we're going to plug all of these Which holes. Very fair, like us. It there. I I think Corbyn ha- believes he is op- operating in Britain's best interest. Uh, it is not if the if the idea is one of intent, then the critique that Jeremy Corbyn doesn't have Britain's best interest at heart falls on its face. Uh, he has spent some time with his perception of the national interest. Let's put it this way: is a is a little bit original from time to time, right. uh, and and frequently works against uh, and frequently works against a number of cons- of his constituents. Also, well, we can talk about Corbyn in a second, but. 
Um, the you know, the, if, if on the theory that where there's smoke, there's fire, uh, and that seems reasonable enough, um, he has been totally unable to do away with the smoke and the very evident fire of anti-Semitism within his party. Um, and if you can say that someone who's for good reason, as yeah, if you can, who has watched this from afar, it is. Yeah. A, a fire that is not just a fire, but like a 12 alarm fire. Yeah. Yeah. And in that, in that sense, he, he believes he is operating in Britain's best interest, but you could, I mean, in the sense that he has allowed on anti-Semitism within the, with, with the flagship progressive political party in Britain to run effectively unchecked, uh, he is not operating in Britain's best interest. But anyway, to get, to get back to this point, my fear at the time was, in 2017 was that the Conservative Party was going to expand its majority significantly because they were going to come out and embrace Brexit and embrace the bold future that Brexit could possibly represent. Again, slug lines don't tell you everything, but imagine a campaign in which Britain, in which a, a Conservative Party leader had come out and their slogan was Britain dares or something like that. Britain is going to be, you know, make Britain great again, right? Something along those lines. Like we, you know, what happened to, that tells a national story in which what happened to Britain, a great proud nation, is that it got too tied down by the continent and now it is breaking free to lead again, right? Imagine that story. And there was no story in 2017. You know, or that naval, a, naval warfare became obsolete. I mean, it is. You could make the argument that naval warfare is is obsolete, but if that's the case, then why hasn't China invaded Taiwan? Fair, right? Yes. So <laughs> they embrace because so, we would come in guns blazing. We, that's exactly. Uh. That's exactly right. Because <laughs> what we do we do if I bow? Is is that's less, exactly this. You know, yeah, this is this to also be said, but we would nuke their asses. Is probably what would happen. Well, this all yeah. That's that, that's that's exactly hell yeah. Hook them. Uh, so. All of this is to say, I think the MAGA. Johnson I, MAGA. All of this is to say, I think the Johnson government is going to politically overperform. I think he, the challenge the conservatives have had for two years is they have been they have been led by someone who was pushing through a policy that she obviously didn't like and was not doing a very good job of it. And was trying to do it over the resistance of her own party. This created the impression that the conservative party was was nowhere on Brexit. It pissed off the Brexiteers and it pissed off the Remainers. Now, although Brexit is a is, I mean, you can make the argument it's a minority position. It is certainly not a hugely popular position. The conservatives are somewhere on it, right? They are like they they have a defined position. We are glad this is happening, and we embrace making we embrace doing it. And my view is, it is better to be somewhere on a potentially bad policy than to be absolutely nowhere on a good one. Voters respect voters respect you knowing what the hell you're about more than they want you to actually agree with them. This is the thing that's, that has damned the left in the U.S. for the longest time, right? It's I was about to say, this is a very profound thing that you have said on on, on this podcast, which that, profound that chose, things should not exist on. That I chose to say it here indicts us all, I think you'll find. Uh, but it is better, to, and, and I think now there's somewhere on this. I think that combined with with his natural gifts as a sociopath, the fact that the that his... Uh, that his uh, rating, that his expectations are already so low, he can't help but exceed them, uh, and the fact that the Labour Party is imploding uh, in the anti-Semitism, the growth, the anti-Semitism scandal, and also the fact that Jeremy Corbyn has also been nowhere on on Brexit, and Jeremy Corbyn's whole thing is that he is somewhere. You might not agree, but his whole He's also thing a was super weird, dude. Yes, that is true. Britain has been and will continue to be governed by some of the strangest people ever to occupy the leadership roles of their parties. He's not talking about the royals. No, no, not well. I mean, yes, no, we're 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 not. Although you know, the Duke is still with us. 
so they will always, as long as the, as long as Prince Philip is around, they'll always claim to having the strangest major public figure in Britain. Um, you know, God bless them. But when you have a Greek sympathizing Nazi as your as well, he's. I mean, that's not true. I saw know. it on the Crown. You saw it on the Crown. That's not a Nazi. That's that's a, that's a that's, I said that's sympathizing. Yeah. Yeah, so you said he was a Greek sympathizer, which I think is true. He is a Greek sympathizer and notable and notable for it. All of which is to say, there be the conservatives are being set. The conservative party, I think, is actually about to do a lot better than they have any right to. That is exacerbated by the weakness of the Labour Party. Uh, Boris Johnson may be a clown, but if he's a clown, he's Pennywise, uh, and I think we may have to live with his ass for a long time. And so now all I can think about is a fucking clown popping up from a sewer. So thank you for that image. You're welcome. Well, it's what can I'm I give here you for. a different one then? Can I give you a different image? Please. So I have been, I recently finished all of Stranger Things, which I hope everyone else did. Uh, and I, I have been, I mean, I really enjoyed it. I know there were some critics that did not like it, but I thought it was great. Um, but I couldn't help but notice that one of the folks that works at the local paper um, looks exactly like Boris Johnson, uh, his name, the, the actor's name is Jake Busey. Uh, character's name is Bruce. He's one of the people who's like a real dick to Nancy, like calls her Nancy Drew and like ties a rat in the kitchen cabinet so that she finds it and gets scared. Um, so I thought it was quite poetic. I was like, Oh yeah, this, this is Boris Johnson. Um, so now that's who I have. Uh, that's the image you can take with you. Yeah. Jake Busey is a Boris Johnson looking ass dude. In, especially in, in general, stranger things. Like they comb all of his hair forward. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit, that's Boris Johnson. It was yeah. very unsettling. Yeah, it's wild. Yes, that, that this actually might be a good segue um, away from Boris Johnson and into, because I feel like that character actually is the linchpin of this next segment. It really is. <laughs> there was a piece on Twitter. Uh, there was, someone raised a good question on Twitter. Somebody that, uh, whose uh, Twitter handle is MKUltra, which Ulta, Amazing. U-L-T-A. Yeah. yeah, which strong. Strong, you know, all, you know. Ulta you is a it. beauty brand, just so in case y'all don't know, which I assume you don't. That is awesome. I you certainly love, did not. You love to I see it. So. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> love, love to, to see, see it. it. Yeah, I love to see it. Uh, so, that, so MK Ulta, which again, that is an awesome handle, raised a question. And look, friends, it was just a matter of time before we just turned to Twitter to populate the content of this podcast. We can't keep thinking shit up. We're just human beings. Uh, raised the interesting question of which fictional characters non And we couldn't book, easily find like a pigsty to just like roll around in the slop. So we went to Twitter instead. That's yeah, right. what are we, so, scientists? No. That, that's, this is exactly it. We don't make the rules, friends. Um, we just, and, and honestly, we don't really follow them either. Our relationship with law is very tenuous. The point is, uh, raise this, ask this very pertinent question. What fictional characters, not villains, voted for Donald Trump? It's a good question. Friends, it's a great your question. thoughts. It's a great question because I think it's so easy to be like, oh, Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. And it's like, well, like sure, but that's not as yeah. fun. It's not as a. It's not a. Also, it's just of a game. And it and it elides the fact that Homer clearly voted for Donald Trump. Oh yeah, exactly. I mean, like like fucking dig. Like let's get creative. Well, so one of the so MK Ulta's reply to their own thread was that, as an example, was that Amy Poehler, Amy Poehler, Amy Poehler's character uh, in Mean Girls, a hundred percent was one of those white ladies that for voted sure. for Trump, oh, and she's absolutely. not a villain. I was like. Fuck, that is perfect. It's a strong call. It's a strong call. Um, so a lot of those in that vein, like I think some of the more obvious choices are most of the characters from Arrested Development, if they could remember to vote. Like Lucille Bluth is voting 
for Donald Trump. Absolutely. Joe voted for Gary Johnson, though. You know Joe Bluth is a Gary Johnson voter. But again, 100%. do you think he votes? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Well, like, that goes back to, like, Archer. Like, did Sterling Archer vote for Donald Trump, or was he just drunk and didn't show up that day? So I feel like Archer probably is in one of these moments is probably one of the things that he's like sneaky, very intelligent about and has a very like educated and like verbose reason for voting for Gary Johnson, let's say. Like I'm sure he would have some particular reason when you just assume that he was drunk and didn't vote anyway. And I feel like he would surprise you in that way. Dwight Schrute is a Trump voter. (laughs) Oh, that's so bold. It's a a grim reality, but it's one I think we have to confront. Yeah, that's fair. I, Jeremy Jam, Jeremy Jam on, on Parks and Rec is a fairly obvious call that he'd be a Trump voter. That one um, is so good. And I feel like he would do it just to piss people off. And oh, because yeah. he sees himself as that kind of a figure, as that kind of a like take no prisoners sort of um, bully leader kind of a person. Like I, I feel like he aspires to be Trump. So I feel like that's a, that's a good one. I can't shake the feeling that Robert Baratheon is a Trump voter. I feel like that one's also very interesting. Um, why would you say it's, why would you say him though? Uh, because I mean, here's, so first of all, he would, he would do it not because he's really angry, but because look at this, look at this womanizing schlub. That's my dude right there. But that so is many Robert of those Baratheon male characters are that. You know yeah, what I mean? Sure. Like, oh, the, oh, the Game of Thrones is a bunch of is a bunch of Trump voters for sure. Yeah, and, that's and a true. few Gary Johnson voters, like, but also some that we would be disappointed in. Like, I can't shake the feeling that John Stark uh, or that John Snow might be a might be a might be a closet Trump voter, and that kind of like the world's grim and hard when you're a strong man. Yeah. You know? There, yeah. there, there is a, there, there's a lot to be learned by how few fictional characters would have voted for Hillary Clinton. No. So I said that um, if you're familiar with the show Rugrats, Charlotte Pickles, Angelica's mother, is 100% a Clinton voter. But Angelica, if she was of age, would absolutely vote for Trump. (laughs) Um, I also went through and thought through all of the principal characters on The Good Place. And they are as follows. Tahani, Mm -hmm. knock her out because she's British. She can't vote. She would have voted for, for, for Hillary, even though she's friends with everyone. I bet you she personally knows Melania, Trump, Hillary, Bill, and she knows oh, everyone. Yeah. Uh, she's been on vacation with Ivanka Trump at least once. Exactly, exactly. Her 100%. and Ivanka are old, old friends, old friends from Switzerland, you know, that sort of a thing. Um, I, I said that Chidi would close down a polling place because he would be crippled um, about making a decision. <laughs> he would be unable to do it. And the, the little old ladies at the polling place would be like, you gotta go. Um, I said that, uh, Jason didn't know that voting is how we elected our leaders. Um, he probably thought of some other system entirely. Uh, and that Eleanor wrote in stone cold Steve Austin, um, mm-hmm. instead of voting for anybody. <laughs> that's a good, that's a very, that's an extremely good call. Yeah. Yeah. Frank, I, Frank, I think you went through some of the characters from, was it the wire or justified or both? Uh, there was some of that for sure. Uh, Art Mullins, the guy who runs the, the marshal's office and justified is 100% a Trump voter. 100%. Also Nick, also Nick Searcy, the actor plays him as a raving right-wing Republican. Yeah. So, I mean, part of it is, part of it is that I took the view that Boyd Crowder is not a villain and is a Trump voter. I'm actually coming back on that one. 
I think he might also be a libertarian. One of the things that this exercise revealed is how many Johnson voters there are. Yeah. I know. How many, like libertarians amongst the shows that There's we have. Like, that fucker got 5.3% even though he's just a sack full of ferrets in a trench coat. That's exactly or right. is it a commentary on how much we really enjoy characters that fancy themselves as not a typical rule follower, as sort of like a renegade on their own kind of person? Mm-hmm. Oh, God damn it, Maggie's just dropping bombs everywhere. I'm very good, we're, Elliot. God, we're very just, good. Oh, she is. It's Maggie, true. can you repeat the bomb from earlier that's still fucking with my head so that everyone can hear? Oh, the slightly, slightly off topic? It, it's, yeah, it's slightly off okay, topic. Okay, well, I'll, I'll make it on topic. So first of all, I think that... Nancy Wheeler from Stranger Things is a Trump voter. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry to say, I'm here from the future to tell you that she 100% voted for Donald for Trump. Sure. Yeah. Oh, um, God, yeah. Yeah. And that I have also decided that the Americans and Stranger Things take place in the same universe. That they're happening at the same time. That the illegals were probably in some inadvertent way supporting the, um, the efforts that were happening in Hawkins. I think we should assume that's the case. Yeah, so, this is a wildly deep take and an important one for people. Which is also then important to know that Stan Beeman voted for Donald Trump. Yeah, that's also true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's very fair. Yeah. I, I also feel like Elizabeth was a Trump voter and God damn it, why can't I think of her husband's name? Philip? Philip was not. Would vote for Hillary. I feel yeah, like. But, but wouldn't have told his wife about it. I, yeah, I feel like Paige was, would definitely be a Hillary supporter, although she mm-hmm. would have a tough time with the Iraq war vote. Yes. Um, I think that, I honestly think that Elizabeth would feel very above the American elect, like, party system and would feel very, would think that people were stupid for voting for someone like Trump or for someone like Hillary. I don't know if she would be satisfied by other candidates. I think she would be one of those people that said, like, everybody's a crook. Like, they're both oh, bad I'm gonna for I'm going to vote for Stein. Probably. <laughs> yeah, not a lot of Stein voters in this thing, which also tells us something, although I'm not quite sure what, because I feel like there'd be a fair amount, and let us, let us not go down this rabbit hole, for God's sake, please, but I feel like amongst the shows that we watch and the books that we read, there's a fair number of Marianne Williamson voters in there somewhere. I don't know. I mean, I feel like most of the people reading. I encounter in Brooklyn would probably vote for Marianne Williams if they weren't voting for Bernie Sanders. Yeah, we actually don't need to find a fictitious. Like, it's, you know, we can yeah. just go with what we've got. Like, yeah. come to Bushwick, you'll find them. <laughs> Yeah. As, as we propose to, as we prepare to close down this particular segment, I would, I would propose to you this. Uh, Al Swearingen is an Obama Trump switcher. It brings me no pleasure to say it. Who is that? I was about to say we should do Deadwood characters, but yeah. that you've just done that. Yeah, we feel like we should not do anymore. Robbed us of our joy. <laughs> I know it's true. It's um, I did shocking. say that all of the white characters on the wire voted for Trump. Oh, absolutely. If they voted, no, they Pres- voted Bal- for Trump. no, no, no. Prez Belusky is a uh, is a Democrat for sure. Mm, okay. Yeah, quit the police force and became all a of the white characters from teachers. season one. <laughs> <laughs> the cops, all the cops voted for. for yeah, that's a, that's him. He's there. I feel like Jaybird yeah, right. also would have just like written somebody in. Who? Jaybird, the, mm. the sergeant uh, over the detectives, big fat guy. Oh yeah, who was always like yeah, looking, play, at, yeah. looking at porn and, and and eating Chinese food. Yeah, he might have been Democrat. Played by a noted Baltimore area character actor Jay Landsman. Uh, and that is also his character's name. That is also his character's name because yeah. presumably he did not know that he was on television. 
I also feel like Chelsea Peretti's character, Gina from Brooklyn Nine-Nine voted for Trump, but I think she did that because she thought it was funny. Yeah. Like, I don't think she, she, she I don't think she like holds any of those values. I just think she'd be like, what? I thought it would be funny. (laughs) Yeah. That's a a strong impression. Oh yeah. yeah. I'm my, my character on that show is, is Gina. I I am. You are. I I am Gina. (laughs) Yep. Welcome to this kind of weird TV talk podcast that we've put together, friends. We're glad you've joined us. It's my favorite thing to talk about. Yeah, so good. All right, friends, uh, let us proceed from here. Do we want to talk about... Um, I feel like we should talk about real stuff before we close this out, but not yeah, that long because... We're meant to <laughs> real be, stuff. We're meant to be politics knowers of some kind, which honestly, like, there's no evidence of that, but let's hit it. All right, so uh, Robert Mueller, uh, the former FBI director, war hero slash all-around American hero, is testifying. Let's not go that far. Upwards of five hours tomorrow before the House Judiciary Committee and the House Intelligence Committee. And Mueller uh, has publicly stated that his testimony is the Mueller report, which leaves lots of questions about what exactly he will say tomorrow. What if he just declines to answer every fucking question? I 100% think that's what's going to happen. Um, I mean, if he does answer some stuff, I feel like he'll constantly 90%. be like referring back to, as I said in the report, or just like like referring directly to the things that he wrote in the report. Like, I feel like it's going to be fucking Stonewall City. Like, he'll either refuse to answer stuff or just be like, I've said everything I've needed to say in the report already and just not really say anything. It might be super boring. I think it's going to be epically boring. The, so the New York Times, uh, God bless the great lady, put together an article yesterday. Also, again, let's not go that far. About, uh, I, think, I think the title was 21 Questions We Want to Hear Robert Mueller Answer. And they were actually very, very good questions. But what was interesting about the way that they presented them was that they referenced parts of the Mueller report that sort of left questions open. Uh, And apparently the Democrats on the Judiciary Committee today held a mock hearing for two hours to kind of play this thing through. And and one of my pet peeves of any of these kinds of hearings is that there doesn't seem to be a common sheet that everybody is working down the questions on. So that, you know, if... Like they haven't worked together, like they haven't come up with a plan. you know... Liberals coming up with a plan together? (laughs) Right. Junior representative, whatever, is asking the same questions that, you know, prick-ass, dickhead borderline senile member asked two hours ago meanwhile there should be like a sheet of like 50 questions and everybody's like it's like old people bingo and you just like cross off the thing and you go on to the next question so that you're not like bringing up the same exact thing over and over and my hope is is that in this mock thing that they did today whatever whatever it actually was is that they may have like doled out questions to people like here is your cheat sheet these are the five questions you're allowed to ask I mean, hopefully, I think that that would be deeply intelligent, obviously, to do it that way. But I mean, dumbest timeline America. I mean, dumbest timeline America. Yes. But we're also talking about people like members of Congress whose egos are enormous. Everyone's kind of looking for their moment um, and they want to ask a question the way they want to ask it. And they're not necessarily going to see the floor because I think as we were sort of alluding to what we were talking about earlier, Ellie, is that this is their moment which most of the time they bungle, but this is their moment to have a camera on them and sort of, you know, make it into something and be able to demonstrate to, to voters and the American people, like what their personality is and um, sort of establish themselves in some way. So I don't really know if they're going to want to, 
pass out questions and be like, oh yeah, here, you take the juicy question. Like, no, they're all going right. well, I mean, like, so to ask. Going back to what we were talking about earlier, like the thing that I appreciate most about these hearings that get national exposure is it really just shows how inept, ill-prepared, uninterested, borderline, you know, functionally illiterate, unfocused, sloppy brained, most of the members of Congress are on both sides of the aisle. But tell us how you really feel. That's that covers most of it, I think. <laughs> it's also a good reading of the latest review of Taking Ship on iTunes. Aha, uh-huh, oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> we did say both positive and negative, and y'all really took advantage of that. <laughs> yeah, and we're okay with that. <laughs> yeah. We know ourselves. Yeah. So I, I'm not expecting any, I, I don't know about y'all, but I'm not expecting anything um, momentous. From, no, from I mean, I think, tomorrow. no, I think we all wish and really want it to be some sort of revelation, but at every opportunity and at every point that Robert Mueller could have given us that sort of catharsis, it just hasn't happened. And I don't really think that that's the kind of person that he is, um, which is fine, but I don't, I think there's going to be a lot of bated breath coverage over this um, hearing. And I think it's just going to be a, a nothing burger, which like, that's okay. <laughs> I'm kind of fine with that. I mean, if he just wants to continue to point the American people, the American public, to read a 400-some-odd-page report written in dense legalese, okay. But yeah, that's the reality. That's, that's probably what's going to happen, yeah. Like if, your- if, his, if his and his team political strategy to, to lay this out to the public to lead to potential impeachment hearings or whatever else that they were hoping w- would happen, if the idea was to just hand the American public a 400 some odd report written dense legalese was the way to do that. I'm not sure what planet these folks have been living on. Well, it's also, I don't really know how much it's not really his job to make a meal out of this report. His job was to create the report as opposed, like, I mean, I don't know how much of media grandstanding would actually do us any favors from him. And so there are other people that should be doing that. But the idea, you know, I think every prosecutor, every investigator operates within context, right? Like the idea that like you have been hired to, to investigate something and then given the present political context and what, and the nature of what you have produced a 400 page report, if you, if your view, and this appears to be his, I don't, I don't disagree with either of you. If his view is, well, I've produced this report, and now I'm done. That's my only role. It, that is a, a deliberately limited view that is completely irrespective of the context in which the report was, was produced and released, right? Like this is my primary criticism of the guy is if you're sitting on this thing, which, you know, if you get into the text of it, pretty clearly recommends that the House begin impeachment proceedings to begin an investigation. For fuck's sake, come out and say it, my man. What good are you like? I mean, you know, at yeah. least 15 years from now, you know, or, you know, 25 years from now, when we live, when we reap the consequences of this God awful period, at least you can say, yeah, but I didn't say what I meant. And thank God for that. Right. Come on. Fuck you, dude. Get out here. Yeah, no. And I, and I appreciate that. Absolutely. Which is why I feel like there's a lot. I feel like I have felt that there has been a lot of Mueller making decisions about what to do, and what to say publicly based off of that longer lens on history that when I look back on this, I don't want to be a Ken star, like, like trying to think about like what this, what this moment could mean 10 to 15 years from now. I think he's trying to have a kind, uh, retrospective history upon him. Just like I was as fair and as pragmatic as I could be, which like, 
is not necessarily what we need in the moment, but I think that's how he's thinking about it. For sure. I, I think the, the, the bringing up of the star report is kind of the, the, the middle of this whole thing is you hire a guy who was, you know, this legendary FBI director after, you know, he was sworn in a week before nine 11 and then he was, you know, re reposted to the position even after his 10 years were out by president Obama. I think that they were putting this together with the reality of, you know, the embarrassing nature of the star report. And because of that, there was a little bit of, you know, hands offness added to that, this idea that you can't indict a sitting president. And so he turns around and as Frank said, you know, you hand a 440 page largely reads as an indictment of the president, but doesn't actually suggest that you go after him thing. And Maggie, like you were saying, it's sort of maybe in 20 years, this won't look so bad, but at the same time, you know, I hate to go back to the analogy, but like the house is on fire and you either come down on one side or you come down on the other side. And to Bob Mueller's discredit, I think, he decided to leave it up to the justice department without the recognition that the Justice Department it was a wholly owned subsidiary of Trump, of the Trump right. Corporation. Exactly. No, I totally agree. I feel like now is not the time to be this careful, <laughs> honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, like, definitely be careful about the precedent that you are leaving in your wake, but also, like, you have to do, like, I think, Frank, what you were sort of alluding to is, like, do something. For the love of God, like do something and you know that you can and you're actually choosing not to. And that's the problem. Yeah, it's not going to look, I mean, you're thinking it's going to look better in 20 years. It's going to look so much worse. Much, much, much worse. Oh, Um, this is so, this is so cheerful. Yeah. Um, But, you know, on those happy notes, because, you know, unlike some podcasts that I've recently listened to, we're not going to just drone on and on for, for no reason. Uh, we will bring this to a close. So with that, um, please follow Frank at Frank Spring, Maggie at Maggie M012, all of us at Taking Ship, and that's ship with a P as in profligate. Um, oh, my please, God. I, that's a five, $5 word. <laughs> uh, please do leave us uh, some comments. Please do subscribe. Uh, and with all of that, Frank, because we have the full crew back, Uh, and you seem to be relatively free right now. Um, Where do we take ship this week? Friends, like like this podcast itself, we're headed straight to the bottom of the sea. Hell yeah. Uh, The the journal uh, Science X uh, a couple of days ago published a piece about new technology that is showing us how, that is revealing how a subterranean ocean uh, is leaking into uh, the ocean that we all know is the that we all know and fear and despise as the ocean today. Uh, so, friends, I like all of you patriots was truly horrified by the news that we have not one but two that we have been distracted by what by the ocean itself and that we have and have taken our eye uh, off an even greater enemy, which appears to be another goddamn ocean. Uh, this is a catastrophe. It may be a setback from which we cannot possibly recover. We have got to understand the nature of this new enemy. And if possible, how does it feel about the present ocean? Uh, and is there room to perhaps divide and conquer our, uh, our aquatic enemies? So friends, we take ship now straight to the bottom of the sea. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.